Welcome to Dad, I'd Like to Friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden. And this podcast is all about uniting moms and dads on this crazy journey we call parenthood. If this is your first time joining us, don't forget to click subscribe or visit us at dadidliketofriend.com. Before we dive in, I've received a lot of messages about where I disappeared to after wrapping season two. The truth is that throughout the past few years, I began hearing the same complaints from parents all around the world, including myself, feeling overburdened and disconnected from their partners, their children, and themselves. So I took some time to write a book focused on accessible ways to bring more joy to our homes. But more on that later. For now, here's a special episode focused on a topic that is truly crucial for any new or expected parents out there. On today's episode, we are joined by a new dad, still in the beginning of his parenting journey, California Congressman Jimmy Gomez, to discuss the importance of creating a balanced and equitable home where parents share responsibilities and how a national paid leave policy could help many families to make that a reality. Let's dive in. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start with a little history for anyone that isn't necessarily familiar with you. In January of this year, during the day of the speaker vote, you entered the House floor with your then five-month-old son, Hodge, in a chest carrier. And you ended up getting a lot of attention and praise as a parent for pulling double duty almost a reminder in government of the importance of family and specifically working families. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, were you surprised at all at how this all played out? I was because it's, um, it got a lot I, of attention. Yeah, I was, I was really shocked just because, um, that moment went global. It wasn't just here in the United States. Right. Um, I saw articles and posts from, Paris to Turkey to Jakarta. It was very I mean, relatable. You know, all of yeah. us were feeling uh, after COVID this struggle between uh, family and work, and you kind of merged the two in such a public forum and in government who can make so much change. It was, it was beautiful, but it was interesting. Yeah, and I think people were still fascinated by the fact that wow, a member of Congress, a, a man is carrying their their baby on the floor, but and a baby carrier, right? I think that people still see that as something that's um, unique. But uh, I recognize that mothers have been doing it for a long, long time. Let's be clear. And they were getting criticized because there was uh, oftentimes people would say, you're not committed to your job and that's not an appropriate place to have your, your kid. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Let's discuss the double standard because you were quoted as saying that the praise was out of proportion. If a woman was to do that, people would question her commitment to her job, which I could not agree more. It's such a fascinating yeah. statement. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it, it's and I recognize that that's still an issue where people women are are criticized and they see it as like women have no choice to do it, but dads choose to do it. And it's like, well, no, like there's a lot of working dads that have have no choice. My my wife went home, uh, she had to get back to work. Um, the vote was still going on; it was supposed to be over by them. So I kept them because you know that's what you do. And then at the same time. I, my schedule was uh, more flexible, as in I could t- have them with me no matter where I went. And uh, exactly. So, but it, it is uh, mothers have been doing this for a long time, and for some reason, for a lot of reasons, it's obvious they they get criticized right about their commitment to their job. Um, but now dads more and more are, are stepping up and 
and doing more of the the caregiving and and taking care of the kids. Modern dads come in all different shapes and sizes and different backgrounds, and 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 they take that role seriously. and And I think it's a good thing, but it, people still view it as oh, isn't that cute? This dad's taking care of his kid and he brought exactly. him to the house. I, I think it's fascinating because I do think from our years of doing this podcast and as a dad to the hundreds of different parents that I've interviewed, I actually think it's much more common than anyone in the media discusses with regards to uh, dad's involvement. You yeah. know, it's just, and, and so it was beautiful for the media to actually be acknowledging a dad, but in such an outlandish way that it, that, you know, it did piss some moms off. Because they were like, I would have gotten criticized for that. And I love that you not only called it out, but I do think it, it brings up a very fascinating discussion with regards to working families. Yeah. I mean, parents in general, a, a lot of our brains are consumed by our kids. Once you become a parent, that is a big part of your brain. It's absurd to think that that would just turn off when you walk into an office, yeah. you know? It's just, it becomes a part of your regular psyche and to not acknowledge that does a disservice to you as a human, but also to you as a professional, yeah. you know? No, I agree. And I'll be the first to admit that I would hear my friends say, oh, a kid changes everything. It's the best thing ever. And I was always going, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. Right. But I really didn't understand it. Right. And um, until Hodge came around and all of a sudden, like after he was born, I was like, wow, okay. Like something just kind of clicks in your mind. Yeah. You think about him all the time. You're like, Hey, I got to do this. I can do that. My goal is to spend as much time with him. And, um, but that was, that was always what I thought I would do, but it was like, it's different thinking that you'd be, you know, Hey, I'm going to spend as much time with my kid as possible. I'm going to rearrange my schedule. I'm not going to have FOMO. I always thought I would have FOMO, right? Of that fear of missing out. Oh, I have a kid. I can't go do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I always thought I would have that and I don't have that. Um, and maybe that's because I'm, um, I had him at 47. My wife was 40. You would experience much of life. Yeah. So I, I don't have that FOMO. I'd but also there's a joy that comes. There's something that takes over that you just, uh, I tell the story of how my kid was screaming in my face and, and uh, it was so difficult for like an hour and I was going to go nuts. And then I dropped him off at daycare. As I dropped him off, he said, dad, dad. And within 10 minutes, I wanted him again. Yeah. After an hour of being like, oh, but I can't handle this, you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting because he's he's been really a, like a great baby. He, yeah. Um, but then he started going through some sleep regress regressions and waking up in the middle of the night and like crying and just throwing a fit. And I kind of laugh a little bit because it's like this little thing has such strong lungs. And, and then I just kind of look at him. I was like, you know what? This is kind of a, a nice time. Yeah. Yeah. With regards to your role in the home, would you say that you consider yourself primary, secondary, or completely equal with your wife? <laughs> She's right behind me. We should ask her. I would like to. <laughs> I'm trying to be equitable. Yes. That's exactly what I, I used to call myself primary um, after that first year. And I took a lot of maternal roles, but I realized labeling it as anything kind of caused problems. It, it made my wife feel more distant the more I was referred to as primary. I think yeah. our goal should be equitable. So I love that. Yeah. And trust me, it's difficult at times when you're, you know, when he, the other day when I came back from a trip to the, from the Middle East, I f went straight from the Middle East to LA. It was 11, a 11 a.m. Got there. That was my wife goes, hey, it's your night. And uh, he he woke up once. I was like, okay, the next night it was going to be again. And he woke up at 
I want to say two or three o'clock in the morning and didn't go back to sleep till 5 a.m. And I was like, that was when I was thinking, wow, this is a, a little tough. But I don't know, there's something special in that, in those moments where they're, they're freaking out a little bit, they're fussy a little bit, and you're just, but you get to kind of hold them and hang out with them. So where did Mary, where did your wife go when she said, it's your turn? She went and got some rest, right? Because he was going through a pretty bad sleep regression. The, the eight-month sleep regression, that is real. That one's rough. Um, and um, maybe because he's growing, he's learning. You know, people say that they're they're developing a lot at that age. And um, so she was just like, you know, it's, I, I spent a week dealing with this uh, sleep regression, and uh, now it's your turn, which is fair, right? That's why I kind of say about equitable parenting. Exactly. I'm going to try to do as much as I can when I can. Uh, that was on a Sunday, and I was going to fly out that following Tuesday. So I was only going to be in town for a short period of time. And uh, so I thought she was going to give me a break so that I could fly out like bright and early Tuesday morning and uh, and that she was going to take him over again. And she goes, no, you're going to have to watch him again. So two nights in a row. And I was like, OK. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Have you have you ever heard the term maternal gatekeeping? No. So it's a term we discuss a lot in, in my upcoming book that we talked about earlier. And it's uh, a term that was coined in the 80s. And it's when uh, one parent in the home kind of claims uh, – claims the home and the kid is their domain, right? And therefore, sometimes it's a lack of trust of their co-parent, but you hear tropes like, you're doing it wrong. You know you know what? It's just easier if I do it myself, yeah. right? And, there's, uh, and I was the maternal gatekeeper. So it's kind of funny that the term is associated with maternal. Oh. But you know, gatekeepers come in all shapes and sizes. But what happens with gatekeepers often is there's been a lot of studies that say the more you gatekeep, the less involved your partner is. And what I love that what Mary did is... She didn't gatekeep. She had a very strict boundary for herself. And, and I think that's so important because what we discuss a lot in this podcast is the redefinition of co-parenting because yeah. there's no reason that co-parenting is often um, saved for times when a couple is divorced or separated and living yeah. in separate homes and co-parenting their kid. But why should you have to be living in separate homes in order to share equal responsibility, right? Yeah. Your co-parents. It's not yeah. about primary and secondary. It's about co-parents. And yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of the problems stem from is um, not allowing a partner to find their own way. And I think that's such a, it's difficult after a busy work week, but it makes sense why you each have your own individual relationships with your son because you were given that time and yeah. we call it a freedom shift. It's a, a term we coined to say, you know, uh, Mary needs rest now. She's on her freedom shift. So if something comes up, you're not sharing responsibility. Yeah. You are on now uh. and Mary gets a break, right? Yeah. But I'm curious to know from your perspective, I hear a lot of guys say, yeah, but as someone who travels a lot, because not a, every parent travels a lot, but as yeah. someone who travels a lot for their job, do you feel that you get a freedom shift? I mean, both of you are working parents, so it's hard, but it feels like from your description, you're off working and traveling and then you come home and you get alone time with your kid and Mary justifiably needs a break. But when do you take alone time for you? <laughs> uh, on the plane, the five and a half hours uh, each each way, the four and a half hours. And then when I'm uh, yeah, if you can utilize here, it. Yeah. Yeah. Sleeping here in, 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 in DC. And, but also Mary and I had been married already for a number of years before we started. We started having discussions about having a kid, and we and it was always about okay, well, like my job first. Let me step back. My job is as a member 
it becomes very consuming in any kind of relationship. When somebody's married to an elected official, um, it often becomes a lot about that elected official, right? right. People call you sir or ma'am. You, it, it, it takes on a life of its own. You, like, you, you're never going to schedule a family vacation around an election day, right? Or even two months before an election day. Why? Because it's an election. That's what you have to focus on. So um, we were having conversations early about, okay, if we have a baby, then she was very clear. I don't want to be the one stuck you know, at home being the one just primarily responsible for it. And she is a career woman as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the early discussions. And, and I said, you know, if we have a baby, I'm just going to throw the little guy on my back and I'm going to go to the events. And that, and I don't, I thought I could do it. I'll be honest. I thought it would be like easy enough. Right. Um, I didn't know how it was going to play out. Um, but I wanted to make that, that was my promise. That was my commitment that, Hey, if I have something to do, I'll, I'll just take him with me. Um, she points out some of my, my, Hey, I'll take him with me to this event or that event is, does it not going to work? Um, but, but we had that conversation very, very early that, you know, we're going to, you know, she wasn't going to be the, the default parent, but, um, she's off right now. She's on maternity leave. So she gets to spend more, more time with Hodge. And you know what? Is that Hodge in the background right now? Yeah, he's in the yeah. background. Yeah. That co-parenting, but that what I call equitable parenting. Yeah. Because right now she has the time. But what happens, you know, if two years from now or um, or four years from now or six years from now, I'm no longer in office and she's back killing it at a new job. Well, then I become the primary at that point or, or the, the parent that has to um, – focus more on the, the household and, and the kid. There's nothing wrong with it, but there, that's why I say equitable parenting because it's almost impossible to think anything co-equal, right? It's, it's virtually impossible. Uh, but when, when it's your turn, it's your turn, full stop. But it's, there are differences. You know, you were mentioning was like, do you have the freedom to like take care of the baby as you kind of see fit, right? You know, oh, this is the way you should do it. We have those debates, um, at the same time, and uh, I'm I'm kind of a, like of the mindset. Hey, I'll make sure he's fed, bathed, clothed. Just let me do it do it my way. And there's just differences in dads and moms. When she gets ready to go on a walk with them, she has her her pack with the wipes, the different like you know every little toy that she's she's ready to go. I walk out and I go. I forgot a diaper, and I grab go and grab diaper, throw it in the bag, and or not even a bag into the into the the carrier and off I <laughs> go. But in our relationship, we're we're role reversal. So I feel like my wife is just you know grab and go like you're discussing. But I think like what's nice is when their co-parent doesn't come and save the day, it allows you to say, "Hey, I remember I forgot that last time, and so this time I'm not gonna forget that." And I feel like that's the only way you learn. Yeah, exactly. And and yet, good example. Uh, we're in D.C. Yesterday, she went off to the first ladies at luncheon. I had Hodge most of the day, and I noticed that there wasn't wipes. But I did figure it out, and she kind of had confidence that I, w- I would figure it out in the end. It's you, why? Because you have no choice. You're going to do what you got to do. He need, if he's going to need to be changed, you're not going to do it with you know with no wipes. So you're going you're to go and buy some. You're going to figure it out. It's as long as someone doesn't consistently do it for you or fix it for you, right? Correct. Um, I think what's interesting about your relationship is you 
it's a heightened version of a lot of different traditional families where, you know, a lot of dads I interview, when we vulnerably get down to it, they want to be very actively involved, you know, and some are more primary, you know, but then we hear a lot of traditional families where a dad says, I'm working and that's my job. And when I come home, I need some cool down time. And then their partner says, well, I've been with the kid all day and I need some cool down time. Yeah. And it's an interesting balance that I believe stems from dynamic setup during that perinatal period, during that first year and, and the pregnancy. And, I, and that's you know one of the things we talk about with the upcoming book is um, so many of the issues we deal with as parents stem from that early period of balance that's created. And, and that's why parental leave is so important. And that's a topic I want to actually address because you're a great person to discuss it with. I mean, you fought to expand parental leave for most of your career. In 2015, as a member of the state legislature, you spearheaded a state law that increased the number of weekly benefits payable to those who take family leave. But America is still, I believe, one of only six nations on the planet with no national paid leave policy in place, not even minimums. I mean, Sweden has 480 days, so over 15 months split between co-parents, however they see fit, with 390 of those days paid at 80%. And Spain, as of 2021, has 16 weeks for both maternity and paternity leave at 100% of their average salary. I mean, these are amazing examples and we're a leader in this world. And, you know, you were quoted as saying when a family member can take off to bond with their child, even for six weeks, health outcomes increase, postpartum depression decreases, bonding between parents and child increases, which is a long-term impact on their health. And we have so many discussions on mental health in this nation, but we don't discuss the mental health of parents. And if a parent is sitting there struggling, I can guarantee it doesn't matter how much you focus on the kid mental health. The kid is going to struggle. You know, the parents, we we as parents need to take care of ourselves. And although we have state mandated policies, why do you think it's been so difficult to secure paid leave, specifically parental leave on a national level? How did we get here as a nation? Well, great question. Well, and... I do believe, and I'm not going to get too political, but there are views of the role, like what's the role of government, right, in people's lives. And in some in some countries, right, they're like they're like, hey, there's a robust social safety net, robust programs from Sweden to even other countries. Like I have a friend whose um, spouse is from Belarus. When I told her about the six weeks that we originally had in, in California, she laughed, right? Six weeks is like ridiculous. And this is Belarus. It, that blew her away. She was like, what the hell? Like the most powerful, most prosperous country that didn't, that didn't sit well. And so, but I do believe it kind of stems from the idea of what the role of government is, right? So we have, um, some folks that believe in a limited government. Some people don't even believe in, in Social Security or Medicare, right? So that's kind of um, – uh, those are the, some of the basics, right? So that's where it stems from is like what is the role of government? And I think that the role of government, plain and simple, is to make life easier for its uh, residents. It's not to solve all their problems. It's to help use the collective power of, of a nation – to allow individuals to fulfill their God-given purpose and, and live healthy lives as possible. 
And you do that by different government programs. There's some people that don't believe in that, plain and simple. They don't think that government should be involved in people's lives. And I believe in the, in the opposite, right? If you look at the basics, education, why? Because we know that certain things are better off, right? Better off if, if the government's involved. Education is one of those things. I believed in people should be educated, would lead to a stronger uh, population, um, more prosperity, everybody would be better off. Same thing with, you know, water, highways, you name it. And, um, and I kind of see the, the taking care of making sure that we have healthy families, children, and, um, and parents as part of uh, as being in our national interest and in our competitive advantage as a country. Um, if you have parents that don't have paid family and then they fall into depression and then they don't return to work, right. Right, that hurts our country's competitiveness. And that's both men and women. I think a lot of men struggle with mental health issues after their, their children are born and they just kind of push it down because they don't yeah. feel there's space for them to be able to, to deal with anything. Yeah, correct. And, and, you know, I want to kind of be clear. It's Republicans and Democrats have different views, but Democrats weren't always, they're not all on the same page. Uh, and I just want to be clear. It's not necessarily always Democrat versus Republican. You know, the child tax credit, that was a Republican idea. Back in the 90s, yeah, right? making the tweaks that we did during uh, the um, Inflation Reduction Act or the American Rescue Plan that really had an impact on working people, those those can be bridged. But we, we just have different different views. But if you kind of talk about it, those ideas evolved. Uh, I always say to people that um, when you have a, an idea, a new idea, oftentimes people are, oh, that's crazy. That's against our values. That's not what we do. Then eventually it becomes, oh, it's revolutionary. It's yeah, it might sound good, but that's not what we do. Yeah. Then eventually, like, well, it's not. You can't implement it. It costs too much money. It's the bureaucratic mess. We can't do it. And then eventually it becomes common sense, right? Oh yeah, of course. Why didn't we do it sooner? That's like, you know, Social Security, Medicare, too much. That's not the role of government. You know, costs too much. Uh, socialism, so forth. But now you try to take away people's Social Security, and Medicare. People will have a, a revolt. So, right. you know, so the I, paid family leave and the and its embrace is changing, and that's why you see 13 states today have passed it. They have some paid family leave program in their states. But with a lot of these policies, one thing that we've been fighting for on our end is the concept of equitable leave. Because, you know, according to the Census Bureau, the number of men taking parental leave, though not necessarily paid, has raised over 183% in 2023 mm-hmm. from five years earlier. Yeah. And there's a New York Times article that's co-written by Darby Saxby. Yeah. And she quoted, paternity leave bolsters family relationships. Yeah. Amongst the 6,000 couples followed from when their child was a baby until kindergarten age, couples in which fathers took even just a week or two of paternity leave were more likely to stay married (laughs) compared with couples in which the father took no leave. And there are the same studies showing that when dads take paternity leave, they have closer relationships with their children. I mean, I feel like this is not a woman's issue. It matters to everyone. And it's important that non-birthing partners get leave 
paid so that they have the freedom to not only bond with their child, which is a myth that it always happens instantly, you know, but also take care of their partner who just gave birth. It's absurd to think that someone just gave birth and then they're supposed to take care of themselves and the child and that their partner is supposed to just continue as if nothing changed. Yeah, no. And people will ask what came first, right? People's perception that fathers should take leave or did the law. And if you look at California was the first state to pass it. And and when I expanded it in, in 2015, it was based off of a 10-year look back because it got implemented in 2014, and it was a 10-year look back from 2014 to 2004. And during that period of time, it showed that dad's utilization of paid family leave increased with time. And then as utilization rates increased, there was also growing demand for paid family leave amongst companies and corporations and businesses. So the law might've been like, oh, this is a women's issue back in the day, all of a sudden became a family issue. Sometimes laws help change people's perception of, you know, who should be taking that leave. Right. Um, and so, so, so some states are no longer, you know, I think in California when they were first having the debate, oh, who should it apply to? I think some people try to live it limited to women. Right. And it's like, no, it should be both partners. And then so California had that debate first. So now when other states have these debates about paid family leave, it's no longer this is just for women. This is for the couple. Does that like so when it was first passed, it was paid family leave. It was to bond with a newborn child, an adopted child or a um, take care of a sick uh, family member. For both mom and dad. Both mom and dad. And then eventually it became taking care of parents. Then it became um, a broader definition of family. Then, So it, it, it got the who it applied to increased. Yeah. Um, it's about bonding. It's about uh, caregiving. It's about uh, taking care of a, a sick family member. I think even you can take care of your siblings now. In the past, you couldn't. It was just about that immediate family, right? Parents, the mother, father, and kids. And then since then, it's been expanded. Outside of parental leave to include sick leave and a lot of different, yeah. Paid, that's why now it's paid family leave instead of parental leave, right? So yeah. it's broader. But if you looked at some corporations, like a lot of corporations would offer some kind of leave in order to compete for workers, especially in the Silicon Valley, somewhere where it's really competitive. They start off with maternity leave. Then they added paternity leave, right? And then they added family leave. Yeah, there was was that dig that Mike Pence did recently during his speech where he called, you know, a a man taking leave, maternity leave still. I mean, I feel like- there is there is a lot of misconceptions, and it's obviously from people who who aren't equal in the home with regards yeah. to their relationships with their kids. Exactly, and well, Mike Pence is like his his jokes come from the 1950s. Oh my god, right? <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> so they're out of date. They're out of, they're out of date, um, and they're offensive. And he didn't recognize that men have also depression, right? When right, you, you know, and they're not when. when and we know that studies show that if you're able to take that time off to bond with a child to support your partner, it has so many uh, like health benefits, not only for the child, but for those, those individuals. Absolutely. I mean, men and women can both experience postpartum depression, no matter what you call it. And that's a future yeah. episode that we have digging into that in a lot more detail. But I think it's absurd to think that if anyone in the family is struggling, that it's not going to affect everyone in the family. Yeah. And eventually their work, 
So it doesn't make sense that we wouldn't accommodate for that. Now, I know we're running out of time, so I want to dive into two questions a little deeper. One, you're a member of several dozen caucuses, yeah. which for our listeners, kind of like a governmental task force. Yeah. Um, but but you're chair of the Dad's Caucus, Correct. which was actually your brainchild. Uh, and and one thing I love about this group is it, it welcomes both moms and dads, specifically yeah. Representative Rashida Tlaib, uh, you know, Democrat from Michigan, who previously launched the Mama's Caucus. And she was quoted, I don't know if you know this, as saying, if it took Jimmy Gomez starting a Dad's Caucus to get the New York Times to call me to talk about the Mama's Caucus, then I'm all in. Yeah. And I, I do, I hear her. You know, going back to the double standard that we discussed yeah. earlier, but my big curiosity with everything we're discussing with equitable parenting and where you stand on the issue, why not eliminate the mom's caucus and the dad's caucus and just call it a parent's caucus and invite even more members in? Why create this precedent that dads are discussing the issue and moms are discussing the issue instead of just merging and saying, we're all here on the same team and showing, as you say, that government leads it, I, first of all, I love Rashida Tlaib. Um, we've known each other for a number of years. And uh, I, when they formed the Mama's Caucus, I joined the yeah. Mama's Caucus. And Mama's Caucus was specifically formed to focus on different issues, but also the uh, maternal mortality crisis that's going on. Um, you know, women of color are more likely to die at childbirth and even after than, um, than non-women of color. And what's causing that? So I joined the Mama's Caucus, and then Hodge got a lot of attention and decided uh, to to start the Dad's Caucus. And people ask me why. It's like if you create one parent caucus, right? It's just like having parents at home. Who ends up doing the work? Who ends up being the spokesperson? And it often becomes, you know, we're still in this this old paradigm where it is the mothers that will often be the ones carrying the weight. Um, and, and if you want dads to speak up it's almost kind of like your your concept right it's about you want dads to speak up you need to create that space for them to speak up in a way that's carrying that sole responsibility yeah exactly that's authentic and that doesn't infringe on on the what the moms are trying to do that doesn't try to take over and I'll be honest, men are not very good at that, right? And this is a competitive environment, not just for as men and women, but as just elected officials. Everybody wants to be the first to do X, the first right. to do that. So instead of being competitive with within a parental caucus, we wanted to create, uh, my idea was not only to create the dad's caucus, but to work hand in hand on a lot of overlapping issues with the Mama's Caucus. That's why I'm still a member of the Mama's Caucus. And I've yeah. we and Rashida is a member of the of the Dad's Caucus. And other women are um, and mothers are invited to become a, members of the Dad's Caucus as well if they if they wish, right? And we send out that invite to everybody. But it's really kind of saying to dads, hey, step up, right? Step up. And even if you are stepping up at home, which I know many are, let the world know. Be proud of it. Yeah. Totally agree. And I've seen numbers now where there's more dads in Congress who are parent to a, a child under six than than mothers who are uh, under six. And that can be for it's not a family friendly career. You're traveling back and forth. There's these obstacles. So that says, hey, you know, we got to step up even more. Right. But it, we try to do it in a way that is in partnership and in collaboration that builds on the work that 
the the female members have done for for years. So yeah, it, um, and and it's been well received. Um, when Rashida calls me to go to a a um, like yesterday was a mothering justice event, I went. You know, the Moms Rising event, I would go. And then we asked the Dads Caucus members to go. So. It, it is um, a collaboration. Showing support for each other while simultaneously holding that sole responsibility. Yeah, correct. And that way people have their space. Now, what can we as parents and the public, not in government, do to help this cause and do to push government to bring about change? I mean, as our representatives, I know you are hearing us, but so many in government are not hearing the masses desire for paid leave. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, there are a lot of people that have started petitions, but what do you think the public can do to help create change? One of the things is making sure that the public, that the parents are continuously bringing up paid family, the enhanced child tax credit and affordable child care, and to share those experiences. Because elected officials are very responsive to uh, the crisis or the issue of the day. And if you can make it, like if you can talk about it in in Iowa or in Alabama or in Georgia, the issue of, of paid family leave and family struggling, it helps. Also, how do you kind of talk to them in a way that Republicans mainly, but also other Democrats that are not for it, in a way that they understand? You mentioned um, that study regarding couples more likely to stay together. Yes, yes. take leave. Well, I know that there's a lot of uh, individuals that want to promote promote that. Well, okay. Well, this is one of the ways, right? I never even thought about it. How do you make those kind of uh, arguments to different members that resonates with them? And it, and and I think it's 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 doable. Ask your member where they are they're at on paid family leave, and don't let them get by with oh yeah, I support paid family leave, but it's a program that's gonna you have to pull money out of social security, right? That's not going to work in my opinion. Let our representatives know that this is a very important issue to us and that once the pressure is felt, the representatives will have to respond or they won't be reelected. Yeah. And a good example, like tech drug pricing, that's an issue that constantly comes up. Different proposals have been put forward, but we finally got some big stuff done, but that's because the public has been beating the drum, right? Like you got to just continuously beat that drum. And, and Congress is hard. I'll be honest. Congress is hard. You have the diversity of California, right, between Central Valley and and Southern California, like uh, where we live. But the difference between California and Alabama is huge, even bigger. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. kind of um, how do you um, bridge those differences? And trying to talk to people where they're at is, 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 is critical. What you're saying is almost put the power back in the people's hands and remind ourselves we do have power. If we make noise, if we raise our voice, the representatives will listen. But we have to unite and we have to make it very clear that this is very important to us. And it doesn't take thousands. You know, 10 people that are constantly calling the office, right, showing up, bringing this up as an issue, people will like respond. So, so it's doable. But you have to keep it at the forefront of, of the public's consciousness. And you only do that by, is by being relentless, just pounding the table, making an issue, being polite about it, of course, but keep going. Petitions, phone calls, um, social media posts, all of that creates a, a 
echo chamber. It creates a buzz regarding an issue. And the more you do it, the more movement you'll, you'll see. And that's, that's my goal, is to not let this issue fade away because the Republicans are in the majority. It's to raise it for next year during a presidential year to kind of create that momentum once again. Well, we will be there right beside you pushing for that as well. As we close up here, I'd like to just ask, as a parent, not as a congressman, there's a lot of myths around parenthood that are rarely addressed. You know, you will feel an instant bond with your baby, which is a dangerous myth. As a parent, there's no room for mistakes or good parents always put their kids' needs first. And I think there's a lot of dangerous myths out there. And I'm just curious to know, as someone who's within that first year, I know it's Hodge's birthday today, right? Nine months? Yeah. What have you found is the biggest myth surrounding parenthood? Well, I I think you've named a a few good ones. My mother, she said, oh, I feel sorry for today's parents because they're under pressure making sure that the child is happy every moment of every of every day, you know, and being there and keeping them entertained. But, you know, she's a lot older, right? She's um, I'm her youngest. And she said, children cry. Children get bored. Children uh, get frustrated. And she said, that's okay, right? So the myth that the child has to be happy every moment of every day, that's a big myth. Right. Um, you have to be healthy. You have to make sure what you're, you know, you can – put as much positive energy and attitude towards them. Cause I think I always believe that they ask like what you put in, they, they, they learn. Yes. Um, they sponge. And, uh, they sponge. And uh, so I think my mom's right with like the biggest myth, one of the biggest myths, like you have to keep them entertained all the time. And, and boredom does help kids get creativity, imagination. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So you have to give them a, a, a little bit of time to, get bored, to get frustrated, to but to then to overcome it, to teach them how to overcome it. So I love that. Yeah, it, I, I've learned a lot. Um, I'm still learning. Haven't been perfect whatsoever. I mean, no parent is. That's another myth. <laughs> that you have to be perfect, that you can't make mistakes. You know, uh, you have to allow yourself that space. But I do feel like I've been extremely blessed. College has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. And this is somebody who's who started off working at a subway in Target and not going to college and going to Harvard University for my master's degree, getting elected to Congress. And I still say that the best thing that's ever happened to me is, is Hodge. He's, he's uh, amazing. And, it, and it's been, I think my life would not be as rich w- without him. And, and my wife and I um, are enjoying um, every minute of uh, parenthood. So first challenges, trust me, those 3 a.m. wake-ups are not fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's always challenges, but the good outweighs the bad. And that's the thing that we remember, uh, you know? Yeah. I think, in, in just my view, in order to be a great parent, you have to be fulfilled as an individual yeah. as much as possible. Career, relationships, own self-confidence, that will make you want to do more and be more and your and your kid will absorb that i could not agree more thanks for joining me jimmy thank you kevin if you were at all motivated by our conversation regarding the fight for a paid leave policy in the u.s that can enable all of us to care for ourselves and our loved ones without losing a paycheck or our job then I'd like to introduce you to a national campaign called Paid Leave for All, fighting for our health, financial security, equity, and our humanity. 
So join us today by signing a petition to help make a national paid leave policy a reality. You can find the link in our episode notes or simply head to paidleaveforall.org. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. (laughs) 